Good morning, Cornerstone Church and friends. So good to gather with you on this not quite as sunny day as yesterday was, but good to be in the house of the Lord. We are going to read some scripture and pray and get into today's message. The passage from which I'm, the passage that I'm reading is taken from the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Please follow as I read for you God's holy word. These are actually the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is God's holy word. Let's bow and pray to him together. Father, thank you for blessing us with another day to be alive on your earth, to walk before you and to seek you with all our hearts and souls, minds and strength. We pray that today may be a day of saving grace here in the Cornerstone building. We pray that downstairs and upstairs, people, sinners who are far from Christ will be drawn to him powerfully by your word and by that convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. We pray that today will be a day of strengthening and building and establishing followers of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, strengthen us with might in our inner man. Give us hearts to love you and to receive your word. We pray for all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're still in our series called Holy. This is holy, I'm sorry, called Church. It's the church is holy. This is message number six. There's going to be one more, Lord willing, next week, and that'll be the conclusion of this little series on church. But today it's church is holy. So what are we supposed to do if, if a member, what are you supposed to do if a member of Cornerstone Community Church sins against you really, really bad? Sins against your, your integrity, sins against uh, your, your comfort, your peace, sins against you really, really bad. Let's make up something dumb because it's safe to make up something dumb. Suppose they, suppose they come to church today, here they are, and you're here, and, and church ends, and they go out the door rather quickly, and they steal your minivan, and they drive it home. None of us know it was them. We didn't notice. We weren't watching. We were in here fellowshipping. They were out there stealing your minivan. They drive it home. Next Sunday... They come driving your minivan in the church. There they are, husband, wife, kids are in the back seat, everybody's happy, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that's our minivan. They're driving it. So something dumb, let's imagine a thing like that actually happens. Does the church of Jesus Christ have any responsibility in that matter? Is there anything that a local church is supposed to do? Or does the church from its leadership on down just say, well, we're the loving church. So we're just going to love them and embrace them, bless them. They got themselves a new minivan. You can take their old one. It's still sitting out there, and everybody be okay. We're just going to love one another. Is there anything the church of Jesus Christ does as a matter of recourse when somebody sins against you really, really bad? Or 
What if a member of the church does something very public and very, very bad? Let's make up something that has actually happened. I don't think it's ever happened here, but I know it's happened in some other places. Let's suppose we have a guy, a husband, who leaves his wife and kids, who forsakes her, who breaks covenant with the wife of his youth, and he gets himself a new girlfriend, and to make matters worse, every week he comes with his girlfriend to church. So the wife who lost her husband and kids are sitting over there somewhere, he brings his girlfriend and they're sitting over there somewhere like we're here to worship the Lord. What does the church of Jesus Christ do if such a thing as that happen? Do we have any recourse? Are we supposed to respond to that in any way? Or are we just, we're the church that loves everybody. We embrace you as you are. We want you to be here to hear the gospel. Are we supposed to do anything or do we just let that go? What does the word of God say? Or here's another example. What if somebody is spreading serious false doctrine and stirring up division over it? What if that? And my dear friends, this is not academic. This has happened here in very recent years, and it happens in, uh, in many places many times. What if somebody is stirring up serious false doctrine, stirring up division over it? Let's say they say, for example, well, the Bible was not the Word of God, but the Bible contains the Word of God. Certain portions, portions of the Bible are the Word of God, and I get to be the judge of that. Let's say they're spreading serious error about the word of God. Does God in his holy word say anything about how the church is supposed to respond to that? To use a strong term, but I'll go ahead and use it. It's not taken from the Bible, but from our era. But I'll say, does the church have any right to police such matters? Do we have any authority given us by God to do something about that? Or again, are we just, we're just loving, we just embrace everybody. Come, bring your errors, start a movement. We don't really care. It's all about Jesus. Today, we're looking at five major passages, Lord willing, if the clock behaves. We're looking at five major passages in the Bible on church discipline. Church is to be holy. There are certain things that are not to be allowed in your church. There are certain things that the church is supposed to act on. Ooh, like we can permit a lot of things, but we can't permit that. There are lines to be drawn. There are things beyond which you dare not go. My prayer is that we'll never, ever need this sermon. But my prayer is also, if and when we do need it, we'll be willing to act upon it as a faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to hear an amen right there. All right, that was a good amen. You all had your coffee this morning. Here are some reasons why we're covering this real quick. Number one, because it's in the Bible. And Jesus commands us in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, to teach his people all things that he has commanded them. So this is one thing we're supposed to teach. Number two, why are we doing this? Because we hope to never practice it, but if we do, we don't want you to be shocked. We don't want you to be totally caught off guard someday when we announce to you the members in a special meeting, uh, there's an issue, and you go, what? What are you all doing? Where did you get that? I've never heard of this before. Why didn't you ever teach us about this? That's number two reason why we're covering this. We don't want you to be shocked if it ever happens. And number three, because just knowing that your church will practice discipline, if need be, knowing that can serve you as a deterrent to temptation. Man, I'm tempted to do that. But you know what? There's a lot of problems if I do that. One of them is if my church finds out I'm in big trouble with my whole church. All right, that's a deterrent. I don't want to be in big trouble with my whole church. It's my community. It's my people. I love them and they love me. And so it can help you to be strong in resisting sin and temptation. So that's why we're doing this. There could be other reasons, but we got to move on. Here we go. Five passages. The first one we already read. I'm going to shorten it and take part of it. Matthew chapter 18. 
I'll read this shortened section again. Jesus says, if your brother, we're going to read it and then talk about it. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, and you've, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. All right, so let's ask our text some questions. Number one, what happened? Well, the text says, your brother sins against you. It doesn't say what kind of sin. It doesn't put it in category. It doesn't say how big or little. What do we know about when our brother sins against us? Does that ever happen? All the time. What do we do most of the time? Well, we do what Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. So most of the time when our brother or sister sins against us, we just say, that's all right. In the love of Christ, I can just absorb that one. I'm just going to live with it. I'm going to take the hit, and we're going to move on, and I'm not going to make an issue. I don't need to. you got a big, thick, thick blanket of love, and you're able to just throw it right over that thing, and you cover it with a blanket of love. But what happens if your blanket just won't stay on that one? What happens if that one is too big, too egregious, too offensive, too damaging, too hurtful, and you find that you just can't keep it covered, your blanket keeps falling off, and you're looking at that thing again, and it's really bothering you. What do you do? Then the Lord Jesus says, in that occasion, here here are some steps. Here's a procedure. So that's the thing. What's the process? What are the steps? What are you supposed to do? Well, first, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I don't know, is it just my copy of God's word that has those words, you and him alone? Is that in your copy? Is it on the slide up there? Is that actually what God says? Is this what Jesus tells his people to do? It is. He says, number one thing I want you to do is keep the circle of intelligence about this as small as possible, just you and them alone. Don't go tell your six friends to get counsel. I mean, people always, always, always have reasons why they violate the word of Jesus. Well, I'm not going alone because, and fill in the blank. Well, I'm going to seek counsel. I'm going to ask them to pray for me while I go to you. So I've got six people praying for me. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is very clear. It's very simple here. He says, I want you to keep it as small as possible so that if you're wrong, if you got it wrong, if it's about to get fixed, you didn't damage that person's reputation with six or 26 other people already. No, go between you and them alone. Everybody say the word alone with me. You ready? Here we go. Alone. All right, well done. So that, that's what you do. Step number one, go to them alone. And if you win them, bless the Lord. Everything's good with you and your brother and sister in Christ. What if, they, what if you don't win them? Then he says, go back to them and take along two or three witnesses. So you say, well, well, he stole my minivan. All right, did anybody else see him in your minivan? Did anybody else see him stealing your minivan? No, no one else has seen him in it or near it or stealing it, but I know he did it. Well, sorry, you got to have witnesses. Like the church goes to court and the court needs witnesses. And if there are no witnesses, we can't do anything. Well, I know it's him who stole. Well, you need some witnesses or we can't do anything here. Nobody but you saw it. You might be lying. You might be imagining. You might be distorting. We don't know. And we can't act on this. So, so you, you want some witnesses. Let me just pause there and tell you. So maybe one of the things they're doing is slandering you and spreading false stories about you, and you, do you have any witnesses? This actually happened in our neighborhood. So it was a couple years ago, Debbie went to the salon and got a new do. 
And so it was shorter and it was a different color. So, I mean, she got it worked on, right? She came home and our, our neighbor, two doors over, lady, said to our neighbor lady right beside us on the other side of the wall from us, she said to her, what do you think of that pastor with his new young wife? <laughs> yeah. So the lady next door talked to me out front one day and said, uh, she said you have a new young wife. I said, well, she is young, but she's not new. <laughs> I, 48 years of that woman, I think we're going for the goalpost here. But all right, so, so there was like a little story beginning to spread about me in the neighborhood. Stories like that can happen in church. They're spreading the story about you, and it's not true. What do you do? You go to them alone. If they won't listen to you, you take with Who told the story? Who told you that they heard a story? You got to get them to go with you. You need some witnesses there. If that doesn't work, then you tell it to the church. What does that mean? You're probably going to go to the pastors, the elders, the overseers. They're probably going to confer, consult with the whole church, with all the members, because you don't want to move forward in discipline without the consent, without the backing, without the by and large agreement of your members, or you're going to blow your church to smithereens. So you tell it to the church, and the church assumed being unified on this moves forward, and here's the end of it all. They won't repent. They won't repent. They won't repent. They're ruining your reputation and sticking to it. They stole your minivan, and they're keeping it. Let them be to you a heathen and a tax collector. What does that mean? That is excommunication, my friends. That means remove them from your assembly. The Jewish people in those days wanted nothing to do with heathen. They wanted nothing to do with tax collectors. Whether that was right or wrong is another issue, but that's, what they, that's where they were. And he says, you know how you treat heathen? You know how you treat tax collectors? You don't hang out with them. You don't fraternize. That's what you do with this person. You put them out, and you let them be like a heathen and a tax collector. I'm just thinking about all the church signs I've ever seen that say, we're the church where everyone is welcome. And based on Matthew 18, maybe I ought to say almost everyone. <laughs> We're the church where almost everyone is welcome, not the ones who have been put out, not the ones who stole your minivan and wouldn't give it back, not the ones who are damaging your reputation and wouldn't repent. No, they're to be like, like a heathen and a tax collector to us. So that's the process. I want you to note, every situation going to come up today does not have that process. Some, some situations have no process, go straight to excommunication. This process is not one size fits all. This is for you and a brother or sister, and there's been a private offense. This is that process. This is what's supposed to happen in a church. So they hurt you so badly. Your blanket of love won't stay over it. You've got to have something done about it. Do you have, is there any way the church can get involved? Yes, you don't just have to live with that. You don't have to see them every Sunday knowing they're, they're filching your good, good name. You don't have to see them every Sunday driving in in your minivan and my church does nothing about it. No, the church is supposed to act. Why? Well, the answer is because church is holy. So can church allow sinners to come to church? Well, yeah, or there's nobody here. Can church live with, can church tolerate, can church overlook certain kinds of sins among its members? Well, yeah, or there's nobody here. But you see, the, the Bible draws a line and says, but this, there's, there's a procedure. You must deal with this. You can't just let that go. You've got to respond to this. Why? Well, it's not stated in the text, but because church is to be a holy place. Like, we can't have that. We can't have that. There are certain things we can't have going on. And why? Well, because Jesus commands it. And why? It doesn't seem loving to me. Well, you're going to need to adjust your understanding of loving up to the commands and the dictates of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God. God is love. It's absolutely love. It's loving to the wife whose husband is sitting over here with his other woman. It's loving to the family who lost their minivan. It's loving to the person whose good name is being filched. It's loving. 
So you might need to adjust your understanding of love. And Jesus gives us an assurance in this. This verse is in the context of church discipline. In verse 20, he says, we get verse 20 over here, uh, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's a, that's a text about church discipline. It's fair to apply it to other things, but all you ever hear is it's applied to other things and not to this. It's really a verse about, in the context of church discipline, Jesus is saying, look, I'm with you when you do that. I'm there with you when you do that. I'm behind it. I'm for it. I agree with it. I'm the one who mandated it. That's where that verse comes in. So there we go. That's our first passage. Are we committed to it? Let's be a biblical church and a biblical people. Let's pray we never have to do that, but we probably will. We've done it in the past, probably have to do it again. Oh, Lord, deliver us from that. May it never be. We're not eager to do that. We're not excited. We're not giddy over that. Oh, we're the church that will practice discipline. Let's come on, give us a case. We want to, No, we're not that at all. But we want to be the church that says, if this happens, then to the glory of God and the blessing of his people, we'll proceed as Jesus says. Amen. Amen. Here's a second passage. You ready for passage number two? Passage number two, Romans chapter 16. And this is about what do you do with people who cause division over doctrine? What do you do with people who are stirring up division over, we might say, serious doctrine? Romans 16, 17 and 18. I'll read it. You follow. Paul writes to the Roman church, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. Watch out for those who cause divisions. The Greek word divisions could also be translated dissensions. It's found in Galatians chapter 5 as one of the fruits of the flesh. The flesh promotes dissensions. The flesh promotes divisions. Watch out for those who cause divisions, dissensions, and create obstacles. That's the Greek word skandalon. It literally means stumbling blocks. That would really be a better translation. Who am I to say that? But I'm saying that. That would be a better translation. It's talking about you're making believers stumble. You're causing stumbling in their walk with Jesus Christ. You're causing stumbling in their apprehension of sound biblical doctrine. You're making people stumble. So it's serious. Those people are causing divisions and creating obstacles, stumbling blocks, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. This is doctrinal. So... You say the Bible is the word of God, and they're saying, no, the Bible is not the word of God. You say Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and they say, no, I'm a modalist, and there's one God, and he manifests himself in different ways at different times. You say you know, one thing that's sound, and they say one thing that's not sound. What's the text tell us to do? Is there any recourse? Or does the church say, no, we just love everybody. Come on in and bring your friends. No, he says, avoid. You could also translate that Greek, stay away from avoid them, stay away from them. Uh, you may, might be familiar with the older term, shun them. This is shunning. This is where we get the idea of shunning. There's something the church is supposed to do, and that is stay away from them. So probably it envisions this, the elders are going to inform the people, hey, let's make up somebody's name. What name can I make up? John Smith. Is that safe enough? There's not a John Smith in the room today, is there? So John Smith is doing this. He's causing divisions and stumbling blocks contrary to biblical doctrine. What are we supposed to do? Avoid. And the elders might have to tell everybody, hey, everybody, John Smith, avoid him. So John Smith comes to the church next Sunday. He's all alone. Nobody's talking to him. There's like a radius around him where no one's sitting. All right, that's kind of the idea. Why? Why would we do that? That doesn't sound very loving. Here's why. And this is strong. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Why can't you just let them do their thing? Because they're going to hurt people. 
They're going to deceive the hearts of the naive. People who can't figure out, wait a minute, is Jesus God or is Jesus not God? I'm not sure what the Bible does say now. You're rattling my face. I'm not sure. Is all the Bible the word of God or are some parts just the word of God? And, and they're rattling people. And this can't be allowed. Here's where we draw a line. No, you can't do that in here. This is not a place where you can find uh, targets. This is not a place where you can find you know, naive people to, to play your craft on them. No, they, they're causing divisions and creating obstacles and stumbling blocks. Let me give you an example from 2 Timothy. We're still in Romans 16. I'm giving you an example of it seen in 2 Timothy 2.16. Paul says over there, but avoid irreverent babble. Among them are, and he names two guys, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, see it's serious doctrinal error, what was their error? Saying that the resurrection has already happened. You say, well that sounds rather harmless. That sounds rather innocuous. No, read on, it has effects on people. They are upsetting the faith of some. See, that's what can't be allowed. Somebody comes in with doctrine contrary to sound doctrine, serious doctrine in the Word of God, and they're upsetting people, and they're causing stumbling blocks for people, and they're confusing people, and naive people who can't think well, maybe can't, can't follow Scripture well, they're getting deceived by these people. What would be some examples in our day? These are very lively examples in our day, very much alive in our day. There's the Jesus-only Bible, and they're spreading that. These are the people who say, I only go with the red letter parts. I, I stick, I'm sticking with Jesus. I don't know about Paul. I don't know about, I don't know about Peter, but I'm with Jesus. All right? So that's serious error. There are people spreading that. There are people, there have been people at Cornerstone in recent years who, who are not only themselves affirming gay marriage, but who have said to me things like this, we need to get some meetings going. We need to get some conversations going so we can talk about this issue. I'm like, over my dead body. <laughs> We don't exist for you to be a place where you can get meetings going. We're not here to provide you a context in which you can get conversations going so you can deceive people who aren't clear on the word of God. There was another guy here. This was interesting. He was Jewish, Jewish Christian, which is wonderful. And he thought that all Christians are now required to keep the Sabbath, Saturday Sabbath, and the dietary laws and to observe the days and the feasts and all that. And uh, he was talking to me about it. So I wonder, is he talking to anybody else about it? A few people. Maybe not enough that like we should have done it. But, but he left because he realized we're not, this isn't going to go anywhere at Cornerstone. But things like this happen all the time. There are people who bring in, well, what Paul calls irreverent babble. What if I called what that guy's doing right there irreverent babble? Would you be upset at me? What if, what if I said that some of the people listening to them are naive? Yeah, he's naive. Would you be upset at me? Well, the scripture says such things. So that's what's going on. What are you supposed to do? The text says, number one, watch out for them. In a pure, holy, healthy New Testament church, pastors and people are asked to watch out. Keep your eye out for, keep your ear out for, watch out for. Is there anybody coming into our assembly and they're doing that? Watch out for that thing. Is there anything else we're to do? Yes, the text goes on to say, and avoid them. Not just Timothy. It wasn't like, Timothy, you avoid them. Everyone else in the church can just fraternize with them, go have coffee at Panera with them, buy them donuts and deliver them to their house. No, no, the idea is, Timothy, you need to avoid them and you need to bring the whole church to a place where they avoid them actively. Tell the whole church, watch out for that guy. He's spreading this thing, we don't want you to catch it. That's what he's saying. Pastors might need to inform the members. Why, why should we do this? Because the church is holy. 
and certain things aren't allowed. But verse 18 again says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk, they're usually good talkers, and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They affect people. They turn people away from sound doctrine. They pose a serious threat to the life of a local church. And the church must say, well, we can't just tolerate that. Here's the line we have to draw. We need to work on this. All right? Are you following with me? Is that in the Bible? Did we just actually see that in Romans 16? You say, I never heard this preached before. Well, shame on where you've been. Shame on them. All right? This needs to come up now and then. Passage number three, are you ready for it? First Corinthians chapter five, it's a very different circumstance. Here we have a professing believer attending the church in Corinth and he's involved in a public, a very public, everybody knows about it, nobody's doing anything about it. It's a public scandalous offense. So this is how to deal with a public scandalous offender. This is a longer text, I'm gonna read it all and then we'll talk about it. First Corinthians five, one to 13, please follow. It is actually reported. Can you hear the amazement in Paul's writing? It's actually like, I can't believe it. What are you all doing? It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. You got worse stuff in your church than they permit out there. What do you mean? What is it? For a man has his father's wife. Now, we understand this to be the way Paul put it. It means the father's remarried for some reason. Maybe the, the, your real mother died, your father married another woman, and now you're with her. A man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. What does that mean? How were they arrogant? They were like, we're the church that loves. We're the church that embraces. We're the church that glorifies God. He says, you're being arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Got to pause right there and just say, I listened to Andy Stanley recently because he's a guy you ought to keep an eye on. And, and he's, he's been saying this thing that we decided long ago that we're going to be a church that draws circles, not draws lines. We don't draw lines. We draw circles that embrace people. And so he's replying this to same-sex marriages and to gay people and so on and so forth. We're, we don't draw lines. We draw circles that embrace people. I don't know why his church isn't empty but it isn't. They've got like 40,000 people. Paul says what to do, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Now, this is strong stuff. We'll talk about it. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that, here's the purpose, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. But you're boasting your arrogance about what a great church you are. Your boasting is not good. Now, why does all this matter? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And that's pretty basic. If you've ever been in the kitchen, you ought to know that one. Don't you know that? Here's what they're to do. Cleanse. Other versions have purge. It's a word that means purge. There needs to be a, a purging. Cleanse out or purge out the old leaven, that guy, that you may be a new lump as you really are, unleavened. Let's go down to verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or with greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you, you would need to go out of the world. So you can associate with your next door neighbor who's immoral in this way. But if somebody says, I'm a brother, and they're coming to your church, there's going to be a problem. 
verse 11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, you understand the list could get larger. Not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those, it is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge, here's the bottom line, purge the evil person from among you. Wow. So this is actually going on in Corinth in the first century. Paul's far away, but news comes to his ear. He, he believes the, the messenger, they're trustworthy. He gives credence to their report. And he says, he writes back to them, I can't believe, I've heard the report, you have this guy in your church and you're doing nothing? You're just allowing it? They're actually boasting about what a great church they are. They were arrogant about how loving they are. It was reported, it's already public. There's no three steps, there's no private steps. This guy bears the name of brother, he's a professing believer, he's attending the church, and he's involved in this public scandalous offense. It's already public. And man, it's scandalous. Apparently he's, he's probably like coming to church and sitting with his father's wife, and they're a couple, they're a thing, they're together. We're the loving church, we just embrace this. Um, is it only that sin? No, Paul mentions some others. If similarly, if somebody's greedy, I'm not sure how you measure that. If somebody's greedy, if they're a swindler, or you can measure that, idolater, reviler, drunkard, you could measure those and there could be others. What do you do? No three steps, no private meeting, that's past, it's already public. The steps don't apply. Paul goes straight to remove him. What does this mean? You must uninvite him from your church. He's not welcome to attend your church any longer. You have, to, you have to rewrite your church sign to say the church where almost everybody is welcome. But right now in your church you have one who's not welcome. Listen to the, the, the multiple ways Paul describes this. Verse five, he says, deliver him to Satan. That sounds terrible, what's that mean? No, it just means this. The church is where, the, the church is Jesus Christ's territory and the world is Satan's territory. Deliver him out of the church and into the world where Satan is the God of this world, where he's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Send him out there. In verses seven and 13, he says, clean out or purge out that man. In verse nine, he says, don't associate with him. In verse 11, he says, don't even eat with him. Why? Verse five, that he might be saved. Best thing you can do for that guy is don't associate with him, that he might be out in the world and Satan is grinding him down. And he finally says, man, I wanna come back to Christ. I want to repent. I want to do what's right before the Lord. I want to keep the word of God. And he comes back repentant. But another reason why you're to do this, is very important one, is in verses 6 and 7. Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If you allow that guy to march in, to parade in, to sit in worship with his father's wife, pretty soon you're going to have a whole church full of all kinds of immoralities and bad things because everybody gets the message, hey, it doesn't matter here. They just embrace us, they just love us, they just allow us, and pretty soon you have all kinds of things on your hand. So Paul says, a little bit of that, and pretty soon it's gonna spread through your whole church. It's gonna leaven the whole lump. You can't allow that, you gotta stop the spread. Stop the spread, <laughs> just, just now came, you gotta stop the spread of that kind of stuff 
in your church. So that's passage number three, a professing believer involved in this public scandalous events. May the Lord deliver us from ever needing to act upon such a thing. May it never happen here, but if it does and the elders meet, need to move forward and we call a members meeting, we don't want you to all be amazed like, what? What's going on? I thought we're the church that loves. Yes, this is love. Sometimes love is tough. Okay, that's passage number three. Number four, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and this is about a different case and a different procedure. It's an idle and unruly brother. Here's what we read, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So, we could flesh this out with more verses from First and Second Thessalonians, but here's the deal. Some people are saying, look, Jesus is coming soon. I'm qu- I quit my job, and I'm spending all my time wandering around in ministry. I'm in ministry. I'm involved in ministry. Really, the scripture d- defines them as a busybody, and they're going around causing trouble and getting into everybody's business, and Paul wants them to go back to your job, go to work, get busy with your time. So he says... Uh, We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, keep away from a brother walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition you receive from us. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Don't feed him, starve him out. He says, I'm hungry, can you give me food? You say, well, have you repented? Have you got a job? For if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. It's a play on Greek words. He said, not working, but working around. That's what they're doing. They're working their way around. I'm ministering for the Lord. Well, why don't you go get a job? Verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say about that in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So here, this guy is esteemed as a brother. He is a brother. We're not questioning whether he's a brother, but we got to warn him what you're doing has serious ramifications. You can't just quit work and spend all your time as a self-appointed minister. I'm doing ministry, working your way around, not busy, but a busy body. So that's what's going on here. He's idle. He's not working. He's Jesus is coming. I'm doing ministry. What are you supposed to do? Verse 6 says, keep away from him. Verse 14 says, take note of him and have nothing to do with him. Verse 15 says, don't regard him as an enemy, however, but warn him as a brother. Why? Because the church of Jesus Christ is holy. And while we want to draw all the circles we can, we are called by Christ to draw some lines. So here's a line we draw. you got to work. So that's the fourth passage, an unruly brother who won't obey the apostolic command on a simple thing like get a job. I want to hurry up and say we recognize sometimes men or women are out of work because they're trying to get a job, but it hasn't happened yet. All grace for that, right? All all prayer, all support for that. But when somebody's just like, I don't have a job and I don't want a job. Job schmob. I'm doing ministry. Jesus is coming. No, you're not to tolerate that. A fifth and final passage. Are you ready for it? All right, thank you for that. Yep, it's Romans chapter 6. It's like Romans 16, but it's Titus chapter 3. Titus 3. Paul says in verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, all right? Stay out of dumb fights. That's a pretty good good recommendation. Just stay out of dumb fights. Do dumb fights ever erupt in churches? (laughs) Do they ever not? 
All right? So stay out of dumb fights. And he gives examples of what were going on in his day. Genealogies, dissensions, there's that word again, and quarrels about the law. Why? For they are unprofitable and worthless. Dumb fights are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who's stirring up division over those, over things like genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, as for a person who's stirring up division over things like that, after warning him once and twice, have nothing more to do with him. And now notice what Paul says. If I said this, you'd go, but Paul said it, knowing that such a person is warped. Paul, you're not loving. Paul, you lack compassion. No, you should be like Paul, and there's sometimes when you ought to say to somebody, yeah, they're warped. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So what's going on? Somebody with non-biblical views, controversies, and stirring up division about them, plastering it all over their Facebook, plastering it on Cornerstone Facebook. Before church, they're off in a corner with three people. After church, they're off with three other people. They're spreading the thing. Listen, you can hold any dumb thing you want privately and come to Cornerstone Church. We all hold some dumb things privately, probably. But if you're going around trying to get a following and spreading the thing, the church is supposed to do something about that. What are you supposed to do here? Well, you warn him two times. You give him one warning. Brother, uh, this is warning number one, cease and desist. He says, well, we'll see about that. And he just keeps right on going. You get Pastor Stan, who's big, to go to him and say, brother, this is your second warning. This is warning number two, cease and desist. He says, yeah, well, we'll see about that. And he persists. What are you supposed to do? The text says, have nothing to do with him. Don't hang out with him at Panera. Don't invite him over for fellowship. Don't have a good time talking after church. Your only words for him are, wait a minute, have you repented yet? Let's go have coffee. Well, is, is it so you can repent? Then oh, I'll be glad to join you for coffee so you can repent. But if you just want to hang out in fellowship, no, brother, because you're spreading that thing, because you're causing that trouble. You're stirring up division. We can't have people stirring up division. Why? Because the church is holy doctrinally. And Paul says there are people, there are people who are warped. So there they are, the five main passages. There are other lesser passages in the word of God for the church that the church of Jesus Christ might be holy and pure, that we might know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be unleavened bread to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now quick, I have uh, a couple, I, have, I, think, I think it's six objections. I've got to go through them fast, I'm almost out of time. Objection number one, this isn't loving. Answer, oh, this is very loving. It comes from God. God is love. It's tough love. Sometimes God declares tough love. Objection number two, this sounds terrible to me. Well, thanks. I appreciate knowing that. I'm sorry it sounds terrible to you, but we don't go by what sounds terrible to you. We go by what's right in the word of God. You need to bring your feelings and what seems terrible to you into conformity to the will of God and the word of God. So it sounds great to us. It's hard, but it's great because it's the will of God. Objection number three, but don't we all sin? Yes. Aren't we all guilty of breaking God's commands? Yes. And isn't one sin as bad as another? No. So 
Everybody in Corinth had some kind of sins going on in their lives, but Paul said that one, the scandalous one, publicly scandalous, has his father's mother, has, has his father's wife. No, we draw lines some places. We're not all circles. We do draw some lines. Yes, we all sin, but some sins are so detrimental, so devastating, so harmful to the holiness of a church, they need to be dealt with. Objection number four, if you're going to teach things like this, I can't bring my friends. I couldn't resist that one. You're all supposed to laugh a little bit. Your friends need exposure to real Christianity. Your friends need exposure to the whole counsel of God. This is exactly what you should bring your friends for. Anytime the Bible's being opened, you should bring your friends for what's in the Bible. You don't want to hide what's in the Bible from your friends. You don't want to spare your friends from what's really in the book. Your friends need what's in the book. Take them to a church where they're going to hear the whole book. Objection number five, this is legalistic. It can't be legalistic. God is ordaining it. God is blessing it. Jesus Christ is calling for it. Your church is becoming legalistic. We're trying to be biblical. Objection number six, well, I've been in lots of churches, and I've never heard this before. Answer, well, you've heard it now. And, and shame on the previous churches. Maybe you missed the Sunday when they covered it, so maybe not shame on them. But this has been around for a long, long time, and, and we're going to see this next week, Lord willing. But since the time of the Reformation, going back into, the, let's say, 14, 1500s, the church has recognized what are certain marks of a faithful local church. And the practice of church discipline has always been on everybody's list of one of the marks of a healthy church. So this is nothing new. We stand in the great stream going all the way back to the Protestant Reformation. All the different confessions of faith have this in them. The London Baptist Confession of 1689 has many paragraphs, a lengthy section on church discipline. This is nothing new. This ought to be in every church on the planet. Hopefully not needed, but sometimes definitely needed. All right, I've got to land the plane. Here we go. It is my sincere prayer that this is one sermon that we'll never need to act upon. Amen? May, may the Lord deliver us from that. But it's also my prayer that we'll be a church that is completely governed by the word of God. And if need be, we will do graciously, lovingly what the scriptures tell us to do to the good of souls and to the glory of God. Church is holy. Amen. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. And we do pray to you that we would be a holy lump, that we would offer you unleavened hearts of worship and praise. And we pray that men and women, boys and girls, would be helped by the ministry of our church to come to you, Lord Jesus, and to follow you lovingly and faithfully. But we submit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. We bow our knee before you. You speak and we're your servants and we hear and obey. So give us hearts to obey. And help us even in this difficult way that we've seen today to be a biblical church, a faithful church, a people who do your holy will. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you like to talk with a Cornerstone pastor? Here's an easy way you can do that. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen. One of our pastors will reach out to you this week. Pastor Rob. <laughs>